Mott accelerates to the reception. Unleashes the backhand. Suvorov and Pollard both there for Philly. And Pollard takes over. Big game, James. Welcome back. It's Swing Pass. Big, big, big week six now in the rearview mirror. 13 games were on tap with a myriad of interesting results from around the league, but it's kind of hard to circle on any specific headline because it was a lot of topsy-turvy results. You start with Carolina's big 20-19 win in D.C. On Friday night, they assert themselves behind a massive Joe White game on the road. They take a four-game winning streak into Philly the next night and come apart in the second half. The home team, Phoenix, get a franchise-defining win at home. 20 to 17 so they improve to two and four carolina splits their road trip on the weekend goes to four and three staying in third place in the south division elsewhere the new york empire take care of business on the road winning in a weather shortened game on friday night in boston handing the glory their first loss of the season and then taking care of business the next day in montreal 16 to 10 to not only get their sixth win of the season and extend their winning streak to 21 games, 21 games, the 21 New York Empire notched their 106th franchise win. That would be the most ever, were it not for Madison finally getting off the schneid, ending their three-game losing streak to start 2023. They went against Pittsburgh yesterday at home, 22-17, to behind a big, big defensive performance at Bree Stevens Field. Madison with that win also reaching the 106 franchise win mile marker. So hats off to both New York and Madison for their historical achievements. But we've got to keep moving. Austin on Friday night taking care of business against Houston 23 to 19 at home. They improved to 5 and 2, staying steady in second in the South Division, trailing only Atlanta by a half game. Uh, Minnesota gets revenge at home against Chicago after falling to the Union in Chicago last Sunday. The wind chill flipped the script almost exactly. They get a 4-1 start, take care of business in a wire-to-wire win. They improve to 4-1, staying steady in first place in the Central Division. Meanwhile, with the loss, Union fall to 2-2, and now every team besides Minnesota in the Central Division has at least two losses. So the unpredictability of this playoff race in the Central Division continues apace for what we expected this season. Madison seems to be getting a little bit of momentum, but they're still behind some teams in the standings. Pittsburgh is starting to come apart a little bit after their 2-0 start. They have three losses in a row. There's a lot developing in the Central Division as each of these teams look to implement some college stars into their rosters, get some lineup injections, a little bit of added boost and motivation as we turn into the true summer months of the 2023 season. L.A. gets a kind of, I think, turnaround win on the road against a very mm-hmm. tough Growlers opponent. Back and forth SoCal rivalry game. Just a great, great performance from both teams a lot of back and forth big defensive plays but the aviators coming away in the clutch with a 22 to 21 win on the road they snap their own losing streak they improved to two and three meanwhile the growlers fall to two and three 
Aviators holding on to now an all-important head-to-head win, but of course they will meet the Growlers again this season. The West shaping up to be a very interesting playoff race, and that really became apparent with Oakland's road trip. Now, we went into this week six thinking that the Spiders didn't necessarily need to win either of these games, but it would be it would be good for them to impress on the road in what is ostensibly their biggest matchups in years. And the Spiders definitely acquitted themselves as far as how they stack up in this West division. They went on the road and played the shreds so, so well for the first like three and a half quarters before the Salt Lake defense. Who else gets momentum with that home crowd behind them? They make a couple of plays late. They get some breaks. They widen the gap just a little bit. The shred improved to 6-0, and matching New York for the most wins in the league this season. Both teams are undefeated. The Spiders then fell to 3-2. and two. They went on the road yesterday, and again, they battled for three, three-and-a-half quarters against a very good Colorado team playing at home, but just couldn't sustain at altitude fatigue and some shallow travel lines playing into it as Colorado surged behind a big Quinn Finer game to a 27-22 win. They improved to 5-0 and on the season and set up a massive, huge, matchup next weekend with the undefeated shred for first place in the west division that i think about does it for most of what we're maybe going to touch on today in this episode (laughs) but there are some other results that we haven't even touched on uh houston got a win at home against dallas they had a great just like head catch to end that one at home for the havoc just a goofy ending uh (laughs) Just had to throw that out there. But Daniel, where should we start with just this massive amount of data, right? Like I feel yeah. both a little bit clearer in my head about some things, but at the same time, there's just so much going on right now. There's so much jockeying. There was, yeah, there was a lot to learn this past weekend. I, in my mind, Carolina was kind of the the defining piece of the weekend. The fact that they played in DC, then played in Philly. Uh, and of course, it was our, our YouTube game on Friday, game of the week on Saturday. So it definitely felt like the featured games of the weekend. I, I, I think the DC game revealed to me that like we've we'd kind of yet to seen a full unleashing of Joe White on offense. Like last year, Chicago pretty much played him on D line primarily for every single game. He like would make random shifts over to offense here and there. And then to start this year with Carolina, I think he did play more offense than defense in their first game against DC, but, you know, it was never, like, fully integrated into their system. But this was just like, okay, we have Joe White, we are letting Joe White loose, and it was it was a joy to watch. Like, it was a joy to watch him play at that level for literally the full four quarters. Like, there was never a moment where he looked out of rhythm. Those, like, air bounce inside backhands, I, I'm falling in love with as like a signature throw the angle he gets on those where it's like the disc is at like a I don't know 60 degree angle sometimes but still is like floaty and nice I, I I think he was like the defining piece of that game and the fact that Carolina was able to go into DC who plays with a very very feisty home crowd and a lot of home energy that that was like a big statement win on the road and I think coming back from that week one game where DC came to Carolina and, you know, it was, it was close for a lot of that game, but Carolina never looked fully in rhythm to see what they can do with their top lineup, I think was very revealing and bodes well for them the rest of the season. 
course, not to mention the Philly game the next day, but stay on DC for now. Yeah, I think for the level of talent that Joe White brings to any lineup that he's a part of, it's always been just a little bit shy of the hype in some of his games before the past weekend, where I think he really acquitted himself as to kind of who we've seen of him in other divisions, where he just, he takes over the entire DNA of an offense for a full game. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's this kind of completely dynamic organism right like it can engage in the fast break which is what the flyers like to do it can play this amazing kind of small ball where he's doing these give and goes with gucho hannis in the red zone and it just looks unstoppable right like they did a couple of those grind points where they sort of played the uh small ball we're just going to work the crevices and get this disc in that dc loves to play but the flyers Mm -hmm. did it better It's like Joe White is such an amplifier to the existing talents that when you have a base as good as the Flyers' offense is already, you see the results. DC has been defined by their defense so far this season, and Joe White just said, I'm doing this for four quarters, and you can't do anything about it. Like The the level of assertion to do that against a team that good in the breeze, it really just, again, speaks to why people talk about Joe White in certain tones, why there is this appreciation for his game, why there's that smoothness to that backhand, which I think he he polished on Friday night, but that sequence against Philly on Saturday where he threw like five five in a row and then was like doing basically the Euro step version of it as he was coming off the field. It was like, his that's a lot of moves And And it's just, it's, it's it's that belief, right? Like, I think that level of confidence is sort of hard to come by sometimes in the sport. And with Joe, it's just so easy, man. Like, when he gets into that rhythm and he just starts flowing and he's starting to be that loose, but he's connecting on everything. He's making yeah. the, the layout toe drag full extension grab, too, <laughs> that he made against Philly. It's just like, you you start to wonder, like, how do we stop this? And I think... Philly definitely did some good stuff. We can get to that game in a second. I still want to stick with the breeze for a couple moments longer. But, you know, it, it it was sort of like Philly got a little lucky in that I think they got a little bit of fatigue. Second game of a back-to-back. He put up 800 yards on DC the night prior. Must have been had a little bit of lost legs at the end of the second night of a doubleheader weekend. Like, not, not yeah. taking anything away from his performances. But I'm just saying, like, there might have been a few reasons why the Philly – Phoenix were able to go on that run to really close out against the Flyers. But again, we'll get to that in a second. And all deserved flowers yeah. for Philly. But going back to DC, Carolina, DC was so good again. You still like so much of what they bring. Luke Rafus making just jaw dropping plays yeah. seemingly at awesome will when they need him to. Thomas Edmonds had one of the most impressive bookends ever with that crashing block in the lane and then leaking out sky and the breakaway and just like getting the crowd into it it felt like a real kind of carlini field moment but now those moments are finalized by losses like this is sort of the right other than their wins against philly like the games now that have been big matchups at carlini field going back to kind of like the playoff game in 2021 have been defined by the breeze coming up like this shy against New York and now Carolina. 
And yeah. I don't think that that really impacts the CC team. I still think they're adjusting so, so much. They've still got so much further to go. It still feels like for as good as they are, they're still not even really near where their potential is. But right. now they have their second loss. It's not to New York. They still have to play New York again this season. Is there is there any kind of dent after this game for DC? Or is this just good loss to a good opponent? We're, you know, like... I. I'm I'm thinking out loud yeah. here. You know, I, I, I I still see this DC team as like basically top two, top three in the league. But now it's kind of like, well, but when Carolina's at full force, they might be a little bit better. Like they they've kind of taken some of the oomph in winning some of these rubber matches. To take nothing away really from yeah. DC's week one win. That was that was very impressive coming out of the gate, but it's kind of like there's, there's this little bit of sense of, but when Carolina's fully formed, they might be the truest challengers for New York. Again, yeah. like, and I, this isn't necessarily stuff I'm I'm agreeing with. It's stuff I want to discuss. I, I, sure, I still sure. think of the Breeze as being one of the most eminently talented and contending teams in the entire league. No doubt. Yeah. This this was a game between, in my mind, the, the top two challengers to... New York. And I don't, th- I mean, obviously DC is bummed to lose that game, but I don't think it takes away anything from their ability to match up with New York later in the season. Like you put any of these three teams together and like, it's just going to be a brawl. And I, I really wouldn't know who to favor to come out on top in any of those games, probably default to New York based on the fact that they've won 21 games in a row at this point. But yeah, it, it really doesn't take anything away from DC or from Carolina the results of these games, but they're still fun and like revealing in the sense of like, okay, which team is slightly more likely than the other team to take down New York. And the good news is hopefully the good news is, is if DC can't take down New York, hopefully we will get to see Carolina try it at championship weekend too. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that would be kind of ideal, but we'll see some kind of route where those three teams are matching up in some order, I think would be kind of the yeah. truest. I mean, it happened last year. Ideal. Last year was back-to-back yeah. D.C. and then Carolina, and then New York just took care of them both. Could happen yeah. again. No, then again, like, this isn't this isn't to take anything away from D.C., and I think equally kind of extending into Saturday night's game against Philly, like, I don't think that that loss is very meaningful for the Flyers so much as it is uh, a huge, huge franchise-defining moment for Philly, right? Like, yeah. the Flyers played well. They they looked very much in the second half like a team playing their second game in as many days. <laughs> there was just some some woozy mistakes, you know? I yeah. think it's a lot, too. And it was talked about a little bit on the broadcast. They went from, like, a 90-degree D.C. swamp game to, like, an autumnal, windy kind of dry crisp air game on in Philly on Saturday night. And I think there might've mm-hmm. been some like barometric differences in the way in which the flies <laughs> were adjusting to fatigue and everything through two games. But I, I digress. Uh, Philly, of course, winning at home 20 to 17 behind kind of the, the ideal Phoenix performance for how this team is shaping up in 2023. They were 12 yeah. of 18 on Huck attempts. Not everything came easy, but they made big plays in the open when they needed to. Max Triflis was great with four blocks and deep space and just kind of putting a cap on Carolina 
after they had been good in their deep attack against DC the night prior. The Phoenix Mm -hmm. offense, while still struggling at times with efficiency, almost giving up breaks to let the Flyers back into it in the second half, they still did enough, and they still did enough in the clutch where they showed that they can orchestrate effective possession-based drives and get the disc in the end zone and kind of run through their looks without just opting for the deep ball that they love so much. But but again, Phoenix had that that ability to capitalize on momentum. There was the big CJ Calicchio sky and layout that got the, the crowd energized. There was mm-hmm. a couple of Greg Martin plays as there always are at home, it seems like. He's just yeah. got that Firebird energy in front of the home crowd in Philly. James Pollard, of course, had a couple of momentous occasional plays in the big sky in the open field. And then one of the most impressive throws I've ever seen of a double team that like low that was nuts. break throws, stepping through, through two contact. players, getting fouled as he did it, and yeah. just launching a 60-yard bomb out of double coverage. I mean, that, that was something else. Uh, and one yeah. aside. But, you know, it, it's just like Philly... <laughs> Philly had one of those games where you could look at it through certain lenses and critique them for efficiency or this or that, but that was a Philly game from the start. They put their DNA all over it. It very much was tough out in the open. We want to make 1v1 plays on you in space, and they took home the W, you know? And and this is the biggest win for this franchise that I think hasn't beaten a playoff-level team since, like, 2013, right? It's... Lepler was talking a little bit about it on the broadcast. I would have to go back and dig in the stats just a little bit further. But even the wins the Phoenix have had for the past several seasons, they haven't come against a, a team the caliber of this Flyers team. And I think it yeah. finally asserts for Philly their idea that they've been gnawing at now for the better part of a season and a half, which is that we can hang with these championship teams and we can beat them. And this is finally that foothold, that 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 kind of realization right like i think that there's yep. been this little bit of sense of sure phoenix like talks a bunch but when are they actually going to win some of these close games that they keep falling to to the dcs and the new yorks in their interdivisional play and now all of a sudden it's like right. okay here's a win over the flyers now what's coming next you know yeah there is a very very short list of teams that have beaten carolina since 2021 right it's dc atlanta new york Austin, is that it? And now Philly? Philly's one of five teams that's beaten Carolina. Like, that's pretty impressive. And the fact that they they held Carolina to, I think it was a 44% O-line conversion rate for Carolina, which is, like, absurdly low by their franchise standards. I looked back, I think that's their lowest efficiency rate since the 2019 season. So, like, since they have been towards the top of the league, uh, I yeah, I think Philly's defense deserves a ton of credit because they were like visibly making Carolina frustrated, and the fact that their D line just they just like outplay made Carolina throughout that game. They were just like getting more blocks. They were like hounding every throw, and late in the game too, like that that sort of dagger throw from I think it was Trifless to Nardelli in the back of the end zone, like that just like low release flick down the sideline, like just like a nail in the coffin type play that they. Absolutely needed down the stretch. So the fact that Philly closed out this game when, you know, historically it's always been Carolina to close out these games, right? And and I thought when they was a Carolina that tied it up at 17s, I the think. Bloodworth player, uh, they get or the maybe 14s. Double team 
Was it the? It, yeah, it was. That yeah, 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 yeah. Right. It was that. Okay, it was that. That play. They get the the best turnover possible, which is Philly attempting to dump backward, and they put the disc like yep. five yards outside of the end zone. That was that up, was the play. Right. That was the one where I was like, okay, it's it's happening again to Philly, right? Like it, we saw it against DC, we saw it against New York. It's just the way these Philly games tend to end. But and I'm sure, like mentally, it had to be going through like every single player on Philly's mind, right? Like they, it's, it's just so similar to how these other games were ending. So for them to like push that aside, rise to the occasion, they went on a six, one run to close out that game, which is phenomenal. And the fact that they were sort of like struggling to make plays uh, before that point and kind of letting Carolina back into the game. I, I just think it was, it was very impressive, like mental toughness that they showed yeah. down the stretch to say in that game. Yeah. And I think you're hitting on something really important, right? With their defense, with just their mental approach, with sort of shaping the dynamics of this game. It's sort of what keeps coming up at the edges whenever we talk about the Phoenix for like the past season or so, which is right. that tough, right? They're a tough team. Like you can't dispute that about them. When that toughness shows up sometimes can be called into question, right? There is this sense of sometimes yes. in Philly, they, they spring out to a huge lead and then it's like, well, is five goals safe enough? which is sort of what was almost happening right. against Carolina on Saturday. And so for them to mm-hmm. close out on such an emphatic six-point run where they kind of do it in a variety of different ways, you know, they did a full that was Well, I think it was the Pollard. I think it was the Pollard sky right after that. And then it was, then it was like the Joe White yeah, turnover where I forget who it was, but it was the Phoenix layout block like near the goal line. So Carolina couldn't right. tie it up, and then Philly. Just Andres ran Rodriguez, it. rookie, rookie Andres Rodriguez. That was a fantastic yes. play from the rookie coming up on the backside when Joe White caught that pass ahead of the pack like that. Mm-hmm. That was a huge, huge moment that I think really was kind of where the script had been reversed, right? Like to your point yeah. of this wasn't going to be another New York or DC game where they let go right. of the rope right at the end. It's it's going to be no, we're putting our foot down on a goal line stand with this fantastic play from a rookie. And I think it also ties into that defensive performance you were talking about. Like, that's one of the things that's really coming away too. Like, I think we put a spotlight on the offense pretty deservedly for their kind of historical pillars and Sean Mott, James Pollard, Greg Martin. These have been kind of the faces of the franchise the past few seasons, and they always seem to make stellar highlight plays. But the identity of Philly seems to be more and more tethered to their defensive play and just that hardness, that toughness. They don't get a yeah. ton of blocks. They get blocks kind of when it matters or in very advantageous spots. They've gotten some nice blocks in short fields. And what they've really been good at is not having to use timeouts to spell on their offense in order to get break scores. Roger yeah. Chu and that coaching staff has as much confidence that move. in just leaning the leaving the D-line out there and letting them convert a score. And it's funny, they kind of attack, they, they let go of Hux. Like, I think the Triflis play that you were referencing is a terrific example where they're not afraid yeah, to yeah. look like, They're much more possession-oriented than the Phoenix For offense. For sure. Like the Phoenix For offense sure. is just doing hero ball sometimes into coverage and letting Pollard and Calicchio and Martin and whoever go get, like they're not afraid of letting players go make plays. Whereas the, the Philly defensive attack is a little bit more of a cloak and dagger. Like they're, they're kind of looking to like, 
expose you a little bit in transition, like find, find like the width of the field to their advantage and find someone kind of on the edges. Like I just, I really like the way in which they don't let off of the gas after they get a turnover. They don't get a ton. And so they really, really apply pressure. I think you could feel that a little bit. I think with the flyers meltdowns down the stretch where they knew they needed to keep possession because otherwise right. they weren't going to break. They weren't just going to get subbed off and have another line come in and play for them. It was like, Oh no, <laughs> I've got to go play like grind out defense against this Phoenix yeah. team that really like to give the disc away when they have a break opportunity. So just kind yeah. of, uh, again, hats off to Philly for their, the mental toughness, but also just the coaching, the discipline, the kind of feel of this team. You know, they're, they're still two and four. They've got, we, we, we got to kind got of talk about that. Go. They've got a ton of work to do. They're essentially like two to three games back of the third seed in the East Division. And it doesn't really yeah. stand that people are going to be leapfrogging DC and New York this year, given how those teams are playing. And so this is like both a momentous, momentous win for Philly and also a good check-in point of like, we can't let this become a trap game, right? Like we can't, right. we can both get confidence off of this, but like, this can't be the season, you know, we've got so much work to do. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's a great point, right? you look at the standings, you look at Philly's remaining schedule too, and they've got another game against DC. They have to play Boston one more time. And then they do have road trips up to Canada. They haven't played in Toronto, in Montreal. And like the Philly we've seen this year, clearly when they're playing at their best, I think they, they're definitely a better team than Toronto and Montreal, maybe up in the air versus Boston, but like they were leading Boston 10 to three at one point. It's worth mentioning uh, before they surrendered that lead. I, I think that's, the, like, that's the thing. It's the like ceiling is fine if you close out and win it, even if you, <laughs> even if you, the gap. I know, I know what I'm saying. Like, what they I'm saying is that, that the ceiling, <laughs> okay, no, Philly's ceiling, I think, like, I think they have, they have top 10 team in the league ceiling, like, easily. And we've seen yeah. it. We've seen it now several times this season. We've seen three very good games against New York, D.C., and Carolina. There aren't a lot of teams that can play very good games against New York, D.C., and Carolina in the entire league. So Philly absolutely deserves credit for that. It's just a matter of consistency, right? Like, do we, do we trust them at this point? Still, I don't think I can fully trust them to like go up to Toronto and take care of business this weekend. Like I, I don't know. Toronto has not looked good at all, but Philly is just a little too up and down still. So like this is the point that they can sort of re reverse the narrative of their franchise past couple of seasons and actually start stringing together a little bit more consistency. Which in theory, as a team goes on through their season, they should get better, right? So, so I think the the opportunity is definitely there for Philly to go on a run in the second half. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that Philly is setting themselves up for a terrific finish to the regular season. You know, they got six games left on their schedule. It's just that thing of, right, there, there's not data yet for a Philly franchise to just go and win those games. Like, that's that's kind of right. never really happened. And so I, I, I would love to see it. It's just got to kind of be put in front of me, much like this Flyers yeah. matchup, right? Like, we've been circling this for a really long time and saying this would be a terrific opportunity for Philly to get a franchise defining win and they went and they did it. You know, it's, it's starting to take on a little bit of the imprint that Austin had last year, right? A franchise that right. hadn't really gotten some of the franchise defining moments of others, always playing little brother to Dallas, but then they finally start getting these wins against Carolina, Atlanta, getting a playoff berth. 
feels like Philly's sort of on a similar trajectory where they're starting to sl- slowly slay some of these demons that have existed in front of them and actually get onto a pedestal that I think they very much believe they exist on in their mind and that they've shown in pieces, like you're saying, is like a top 10 potential team in terms of talent. But like, you still got closeout games. Like that is still ultimately yeah. going to be what determines you being in the playoffs. Like Toronto might For finish sure. six positions lower than you in the power rankings and they might get to play extra games, you know, like simply because of schedule strength. So I just don't want to get too far into that mindset of, yeah, Philly's a great team, but like great teams also capitalize, you know, that's why Carolina gets the respect that we talk about and everything. And I, I really like that Philly has that, that teeth to it now too, though. Like they seem, they they seem not only ready for it, like mentally, but they're, they're taking it right. Like they're going out there and they're taking some of these opportunities. Yeah. I'm I'm excited to see them the rest. They're they're maybe the the team I'm most excited to like follow their progression from now until the end of the season. I'll challenge that with the team I want to talk about next, Oakland. Sure. Okay. I okay. yeah. For for an O, they're the Philly of the West. <laughs> they kind of are. They kind of are. I mean, they're, they're also the tied with the second most or tied for the most uh, championship wins in league history. So like, <laughs> that's true. They, they've got different. a little bit more pedigree. I know they've gone through a city name change, but this is still Spiders franchise that has some semblance of pieces and culture from those back-to-back championships in 2014 and 2015. And I think you almost saw like a little bit of recall to that with some of their play this past weekend where I thought at times, both Friday, or sorry, Saturday and Sunday, given their opponent, given how athletic both the shred and the summit can be on defense and string together, just break chains where they blow games open all of a sudden. And it goes from being Mm -hmm. like, hey, it's five to three. We're right in this to like, it's 10-4. And I don't know. Which they did in the fourth quarter. They did do those in the fourth quarter. Yeah. I mean, but it took much longer than I think it often happens, especially in Salt Lake and even in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Like, again, it, mm-hmm. the Spiders did not let go of that rope until basically the other teams asserted themselves. Like, they weren't going away until Salt Lake made some plays, until the Summit made some plays. Like, this wasn't yeah. just Spiders throwing a game away or something, almost kind of like they did against Seattle in week one when they pulled out that close overtime win against the Cascades. It it didn't look like that team. It looked like a team that's starting to find a little bit more of like, hey, we can hang with this, especially when we don't make those mistakes, those self-inflicted wounds. And I I don't know. Similar to to Philly, I just, they're rounding into this form where I think that they're better than I expected going into this season. I had some questions about how all these pieces would fit together and some excitement, but the Spiders are on this kind of trajectory they sit at three and three. They're kind of at this crossroads in the season, but I think they can take a ton of confidence from how they played out of this weekend. I mean, Keenan Lawrence looks to be about as real deal of an offensive playmaker as there is out there. Everyone mm-hmm. around him is playing with confidence. They just, they don't get down. I know that that's a really trite cliche thing to say, but you can just see it. They're, they're constantly rallying around each other. And this is going back to last season's Spiders team when they, they started 0-5 yeah. and everything. I think that they've sort of girded themselves against some of the, the slips and falls that happen to a developing team. And they just seem excited to get another rep, get back out there for the next point. Okay, we didn't get that one. 
we're in here for the next one. Like they've just got kind of lines and lines of players like that. And you're starting to see that infectiousness, I think, with the way the rookies are playing. I mean, Walker Frankenberg to me is a rookie of the year right now. And I don't think it's particularly close. Like that dude is like a true number one offensive weapon for them week in, week out. He looks a little bit like a, a clone at times with Lawrence downfield where they can just kind of get into whatever action they want to. Uh, Raekwon Atkins played fantastic. In he, I think he just graduated high school or something. They didn't have Dexter Clyburn, their other teenage rookie who's so impressive this year, available for this road trip. So Adkins kind of stepped into that offensive fast break role alongside Frankenberg and Lawrence, played amazingly. Mm -hmm. Like there's just, there's a lot here for the Spiders as they continue to develop. Um, I don't know, what did, what did you want to take? Because I, I, I want to get to a second and then flip over to Salt Lake and Colorado who are yeah. first place and second place in the division. But I just thought that the Spiders kind of did what they needed to in this week six road trip. They they didn't come away with a win as as hard as that is, but they're still solidly in third place and they seem to have an ability to now capitalize on their most recent results. Yeah, no, I think the fact that they they nearly did pull off both of those upsets, which I can't even imagine what would have happened in, in my mind or the league as a whole if that were to have happened. But yeah, I mean, it, it really took Salt Lake and Colorado, like you said, the entire game to finally like stomp the the spiders out of contention. And the spiders are like, they're like, I almost favor their energy over Salt Lake's and Colorado's at times during that game, like especially in the first half against Salt Lake. Spiders, I think, went into halftime up 12 to 10. Uh, they broke Salt Lake twice. Like it, it just looked like they were capitalizing on more of Salt Lake's mistakes. It looked like their offense was just in a better rhythm. That that offense, man, especially when Keenan Lawrence is going off as like a, a true downfield threat. It's like there's there's threats and there's like dangerous players all over the field, both as throwers and receivers. Like the the Magsig, Mac Hex, Frankenberg, yeah. like they they all long capable of that small ball offense. It's it's just fun. Yeah, I think they just like you can see the energy that they're playing with both offensively and defensively. So, I, yeah, to me, this was just like another another piece of evidence this season that the Spiders are, I think, a lot better than I thought they were going to be this year. Yeah, I mean, heck, you could attribute a lot of this to him, right? Because I think, yeah. Like, for as much as there is elsewhere, right? I, I, I'm maybe getting ahead of myself and speaking a little too superfluously or something. But, you know, the development elsewhere, the ability for them to kind of plug in Frankenberg and Clyburn and Adkins and all these other young emerging yeah. star pieces, but then still have Mac freaking hecked back there, taking up 60-plus touches a game, First player in the league this season to register over a thousand total yards in a game, which he did against the summit on Sunday. And just right. he's got a gravity to him that I think allows for the freedom of the other players to just go out there and play make. Cause Hey man, we've got heck back there distributing the rock. You don't want to back me. He's going to bomb it over your head and I can go deep. And they have all the stable of athletes now that aren't afraid to just extend those deep cuts deep. And you can see, everything opening up right like i think they have some of the largest kind of piston work in the terms of how they kind of create space in the middle because you can see they they pressure teams deep 
And so you have Frankenberg and Lawrence sort of stretching, but then they'll fill up all of that mid space with the MagSig lung hacked like small yeah. ball, yeah. give and go. A lot of good midfield players. Get into like attacking position. Like I just, like you say, the, the Spiders offense just has looks at times where you're like, that that's something like that that has an energy to it they're still very new in terms of just i think reps together they still have you know like like we're saying like three rookies working into main usage roles (laughs) they they have hector in his first season with the team lawrence was sidelined at times with uh uh, injuries last year and so i don't think maybe got as much in-game experience with like lung and some of these other pieces and magsig even you know like those Mm -hmm. players have evolved massively and so I think the Spiders team is still very much figuring itself out, but they were pushing Salt Lake, and Salt Lake Honestly, is good. The the like kind of the offensive makeup and like the roles that different guys play, it is very similar to Colorado when you think about it. Like they've got like Hecht is their nether cut, basically. And then they're surrounded yeah. with like a lot of kind of hybrid type small ball at times, but like still able able to stretch the field, like just athletes everywhere on the fields. Um, so yeah, I think it's like a, a very solid recipe for success, especially in the West division where yeah. defense isn't always, uh, at the highest intensity. Well, then let's flip that around because, you know, Salt Lake did hold the spiders to just 17 goals on Friday night. And it was their defensive intensity that kind of overwhelmed the spiders finally yeah. and allowed Salt Lake to establish more of a gap and close that out get their sixth win of the season and still remain undefeated. I, I, it, it's, it's just funny to talk about the shred because they've been taking care of business in almost the exact same fashion as they did a year ago. And so it just sets itself up naturally for, well, but I don't know what this team is until they play Colorado and kind of similar (laughs) with the summit, right? Like some of these results have been interesting in as much as teams running up and trying to challenge Colorado but yeah at the same time it kind of feels like them just sort of parrying and putting everyone away there's not right, right. There were, there's right. never really been a, a final moments to a game yet where Colorado is having to execute as the team is nipping at their heels you know like that hasn't been there and so these first now combined 11 games for both teams have all sort of felt like hors d'oeuvres and appetizers setting up for this main course of Shredverse Summit, where they're both going to yeah. be undefeated. They're both going to know that like their seasons are kind of defined by each other. And I think they're both just going to bring it in a way where we haven't yeah. seen that quite in the West. Although we can get to probably one of the best West Division games so far this season, the the SoCal game between San Diego and LA in just a second. Um, yeah. yeah I, I'm just, just to kind of finish out the thought, I'm, I'm just so excited to see kind of maybe what both have get, gotten the sense of from the shred and the summit that they haven't shown their full form until they meet each other. Like they just seem right. so, so entwined as far as how the West is going to shake out, especially given both of their just massively impressive starts. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think you, you nailed it. I mean, with Salt Lake, especially it was like, they, they started off last season looking just as strong, just as dominant in every single game but yeah, then it's the games against Colorado that are really going to be the true test and give us the the best sense of like, okay, which team is actually the top in the West right now. And I like last year, I was pretty surprised when Colorado, I mean, that first game of the season they played in Colorado, that was like 
nail biter, one goal game. That was like a late Colorado Cut finish to close things out in the fourth. But Cut the the second game, the second game, I was shocked when Colorado just like went to Salt Lake and basically destroyed the shred. The only reason why the final score was close was because Salt Lake went on like a late fourth quarter run to make it a little closer, but that was just like a, a show of pure dominance. So I'm I'm curious to see if we get that on either side this Friday night. I, I would expect a close game, but yeah, like you said, it's hard to get a sense of where these teams are at until they play each other. So back-to-back weeks, we'll have it this Friday, and then I believe next Saturday they're going to be in Salt Lake. But let me confirm that real quick. Yes. Well, oh, next Friday they'll be in Salt Lake. All right. So one week apart. Friday night games. The next two week. Next two weeks. Mark your calendars. Well, speaking of uh, battles between divisional rivals at the top of their respective divisions and back to back weeks, we should move on to the Central Division. Minnesota taking care of business at home, twenty to eighteen over Chicago. They were dropped in Chicago by the Union the previous Sunday. Six days later, getting a revenge win sticking to four and one in the central division, holding on to first place. I don't know quite yet how to read either Chicago or Minnesota. <laughs> they seem to be in some kind yeah. of zero sum game with the respective mojo that goes on between them, because for all of the sort of assertive playmaking that Chicago made the prior Sunday at home, that was Minnesota in the open field at home this past weekend or just two days yep. ago, right? Like anytime there was kind of a 50, 50 ball or there need to be a hustle play. It was a windshield player making it. Uh, they just had more energy top to bottom from the start of their game as evidenced by their four, one start, but also just in you look in the like highlights and kind of the game log and it's just top down team effort. I think there were, Four different Minnesota Windchill offensive players without a throwaway on the game, just kind of speaking to the the share the disc responsibilities as they were dealing with some lineup absences due to injuries and other things. Big absences. Similarly, similarly on defense, it's not any one player coming away with blocks. Dylan DeClerc still looks amazing for this team. Uh, Sam Berglund in his first season has been so, so impressive. And Bergmeier, the Berg boys. I I wanted to talk about the Berg boys. Dang it! Oh, Wait, do you have you the called the them the Berg Boys? Huh? Have you have you called them the Berg Boys before? Or did no, I? Oh, I would. You just stole my thunder out from underneath me. Like, oh, okay. I was building up for Berg Boys. Yeah, no, I wanted to talk <laughs> about Berg Boys and Bergmeier because I think that they're perfect representations of where this team is at. They're not players who we really talked about heading into this season. Bergmeier was really solid for their D line last year to take nothing away from his play. Great, great. Phil player in their rotation for that defense, understands their system, understands what they need to do in the counterattack as good as any player in any system in the league. But he's not necessarily somebody who you think of as kind of mapping themselves onto the overall impression of how games feel. And yet this is like the second time in their first five games where he's done that, where he just sort of is available at times when they need him to. He makes like a clutch block at the end of a quarter. He makes a big layout save. He... He does something. It's always kind of of the energy yeah. hustle variety, but like there he is. And and with Berglund, it's been these just sort of dime throws that with struggling with injuries, with, you know, them losing Andrew Roy and stuff, they needed 
uh, Tony Paletto too, you know, they needed somebody to kind of step up and assume more throwing capacity. And that's been Sam Berglund, man. And he's got a bag yep. on him. Like he, he, he does. He both has range. He's got a hammer that he can tool into a lot of spaces. His poles, his poles his are great poles, too. He's great out of a double team, which is what really impresses me as a rookie. They can use him to pick up and use that deep bag to really ex, uh, like exploit uh, coverages and defenses. Like I, I yeah. really like what he just brings as far as confidence. And again, it's the, the bird boys sort of represent what I'm getting at with this Minnesota team, which is that, they're sort of taking a little bit of Madison's identity in that it's almost hard at times to identify which one in a, you know, low hat is out there making hustle plays on defense for them. Like there's just, there's just a lot of similarities, sure. but that's good. That's good. They now go like yeah. 10 deep on defense. They can give you a lot of looks. They're well coached. They, they don't give up possessions easily. And you could see Chicago, Without the mojo that they were playing with the past weekend when they went two and zero, they 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 didn't know what to do with all that. Yeah, no, Chicago. I mean, Chicago's offense continues to struggle. I think they again they were like forty percent or worse on their offensive conversion rate. But yeah, this yeah. Minnesota defense has been like a pretty big defining piece of their team this year, especially with this week. Like no Josh Klan on offense. You mentioned like the departures of Andrew Roy and Tony Paletto, but they had like no throwers on offense this week. There was no Josh Klain, no Will Brandt, no Jason Cheetah, no Abe Coffin. I just like I was I was just impressed that they made it work somehow against Chicago. And even last week when they did have Klain, really could not piece things together. But yeah, this D line has been like I I just didn't expect the D line to be like a core part of the Minnesota Winchell identity this season, especially with like the weapons that they do have on offense, but the D line offense without Abe Coffin has looked like just as good as it did last year with Abe leading the charge. And Berglund is like the primary quarterback uh, and reason why it's been good. So Ber- I'm team Berg boys all the way. I think it's overdue that we've talked to them and, and given them that moniker because Bergmeier, like he's the most improved player candidate in my mind. Like I, I'm just noticing him, way more this year than I have the past couple of seasons offensively and defensively. Like, I, I just think those two are very much the heart of this D line right now. Yeah, no, I think you make a terrific point about him being a contender for most improved. And, and to your point about the claim absence, they adopted the Minnesota offense did, they adopted a new philosophy than they've been playing with their first four games of the season against Chicago. They were much more, share the disc they they very much understood the assignment right for how they were going to attack without having their main throwers available and i was just really impressed with being able to do that just a few days after a loss to the same team that had frustrated them so much on offense Mm -hmm. to begin that game like i thought it was kind of a little bit of a daunting task given the lineup absences that we were staring at going into this weekend and yet minnesota came out i think with a a better sense of, hey, we've got more cards in our deck we can play with. We don't have to just kind of think of ourselves this one way in offense. We can sort of have a couple of different rotations. We can employ this interesting small ball using like Tristan Vandy Martell and Jordan Taylor as these kind of mid-range small ball pieces who are very good at just possessing, getting open, and then like running the disc to a different part of the field. There's nothing sexy or really explosive about either of their games. But at the right. same time, they don't really 
make many mistakes. And so I just, I, I really like that adaptability for Minnesota, given that the central just figures to be again, this kind of rock, paper, scissors thing where every individual week's matchup is going to take a different configuration. There's not going to be yeah. a blueprint. You can go out there and apply kind of has, as Chicago was winning with, I feel like the past two seasons when they won two straight division titles, it feels like this year in order to win the central, you can't just be the better team that doesn't exist. You've got to kind of be able to strategize a bit more. And with Minnesota's defensive abilities to trap and now sort of an exploring uh, offense that seems to have a, a couple of identities that can plug in. It, it mm-hmm. looks like Minnesota has kind of not only in terms of win losses, but just, general feel asserted themselves just ahead of the pack in the central. I know I'm saying that after yeah. they look so unimpressive in week five, but <laughs> that was important, right? Like how, yeah, you, it was, I mean, it, this was a big win. is important. Yeah, this, this was a big win. And I think the fact that they did this while missing so many of their offensive starters, it's, it's just going to make things easier, hopefully for them later in the season. Yeah. And then kind of the the final game I really wanted to dig into with you. We've we've alluded to it a couple times, the SoCal battle between the Aviators and the Growlers. Los Angeles coming out on top, 22 to 21, totally back and forth until the end, right down to the final point where San Diego stymied LA on the goal line with just the most vintage Jeff Silverman block imaginable as that guy rounds towards so 40 years old. He just continues to look like he fires out of a cannon at some of the biggest moments of the game. But San Diego, just a few throws after that, have their own turnover as Sean McDougal gets a hand block, his second of the game, his third of the night overall in terms of blocks. And L.A. just sort of grinds it into the end zone to get the go-ahead score with just over 10 seconds remaining on the clock. Aviators, again, improved to 2-3. and three. They climbed just a little higher in the standings, sitting just a half game back of Oakland for the third spot. Meanwhile, Growlers fall the 2-3 and three and sit in a virtual tie with L.A. in the West Division standings. But L.A. now owns an all-important head-to-head matchup, but... Only a single goal. We'll see what happens when these two teams meet up again. I just liked how the Aviators finally played this game. I know it's kind of right there in the table to say it's their most complete win of the season, given that their other win was against (laughs) Portland at home. But this was against a good Growlers team playing at near full strength for the first time this year, who had good performances from Travis Dunn and Max Gibson and Paul Lally, and a a bunch of their kind of central playmakers. And Aviators just were able to outplay, make, and overwhelm them towards the end, right? Like, they they played better. Their defense looked more aggressive than I've seen in their first several games this year. You know, I I thought that they were finally able to capitalize on some of the the takeaways that they get. Daniel Brunker switched over to D-line and was just a spark plug for them whenever they needed him to. He had that great huck. He had almost that twirling Callahan that they converted into a a quick break score. Like Brunker continues to be a player who slides just a little bit underneath of stardom, but like is tremendous in his role, no matter where they use him. The offense looked a little bit more stable. They got the fullest Pavel performance of the season. He had over 800 yards, over 60 completions, just sort of, taking the workload off of other parts of the aviators offense so that they could yeah. do more of their up-tempo, up-rhythm, fast-break stuff. 
it's it's interesting like him and Van Dusen I think both had over 60 completions in that game no one else on the aviators had more than like 25 or something like they they're just so they're so reliant on that backfield and like it does work most of the time I do worry about their offense and that it still doesn't feel so connected all the time right right? like there is a lot of it feels like they have like here's the McDougal drive which by the way they use so well as a closer in this game to just like get scores in the clutch but yeah you're totally right not not to totally take your part but it's like yeah they have like the Pavel Van Dusen, we're going to launch it long, probably to McDougal. Right. We have like Kioy and Shapiro and Osborne doing these fast break things, but it's never like together. Yeah, no, I, I think, and that's kind of the, the theme we've seen from them throughout this season. And, and hopefully it is something they continue to improve on throughout the year. But the fact that they, they did pull out this win and San Diego is a team that just, they keep proving that they, they're just going to fight start to finish in literally every single game they play, doesn't matter who they have out on the field. This is another game where it's just showing their their mental toughness as a team. And the fact that they came into the season with like so much less momentum, like probably the minimum amount of momentum for any West team, like a lot of offseason departures. There's a lot of hype about L.A., some about Oakland, like San Diego is just kind of the forgotten team after they didn't make it to championship weekend for the first time in three years. But they're, I, I just, I can't wait for this race for the third seed in the West because I think between San Diego, Oakland, and LA, I, I have to imagine the margins are going to be super thin. I mean, none of those teams have played each other yet, or none of the teams have played Oakland yet. So we haven't really seen how they're going to match up. But I, I just think it's, it's so close between those three in the West right now. And yeah, I can't wait for the future. Yeah, no, I, I'm way more intrigued by this third seed playoff race than I ever thought possible. Like, I like all three of these teams. I think these teams, if you yeah. took them into any of the other divisions, they would cause a lot of noise for that third seed there as well. Like, they're just, they've got some firepower. They've got enough offensive skill players on all three of the teams where there's there's things to like. You know, you talk right. about not knowing necessarily what to expect from San Diego offensively after they have some departures and sort of the focus around Lally and uh, Dunn, obviously. And it's like Bryce Lezinski has stepped up really well for that team. Uh, I'm trying to think of other players off the top of my head. and Because I, I wanted to work towards building. Dang it. <laughs> I want to talk about the rookie Max Gibson, the six foot five kid that yeah. they sort of unearthed. He's all of a sudden capable of putting up 500 yards a game and like five scores and was making plays when they needed him to in the second half, just being big. Like, I know that that's sort of uh, oversimplification and reduction of how some of these big athletes play, but like Mm -hmm. they put him in the end zone in single coverage and threw nice discs to him and he went and got up and got them goals. That isn't necessarily something the growlers have always had outside of Travis Dunn, Paul Lally, some of the players that now departed from the roster, like Sean McDougal, who they had last year. And so just having a guy who can go get for them, I think is so, so valuable because they do so much of the fundamental work, right? That for them to have a little bit more of a, a, a trust throw capable or safety blanket receiver and a tight end option body like Max Gibson really, yeah. really accelerates my viewpoint of this team. But talk about the aviators, you know, you mentioned the workload for Van Dusen and Pavel. Uh, I, I thought that they both played excellent. I thought, especially Van Dusen coming away with two of the blocks that he got in the game. He, he yeah, earned block big blocks. Back. 
and then he had one late in the game where he got a poach in the end zone to deny a growler score. Like both essentially either adding a point to LA's total or taking one away off the board for San Diego. Like basically mm-hmm. two points totally responsible for by himself, you know, in a one goal game. Uh, yeah. I thought for as impressive as Van Dusen and Pavel were, the takeaways for me were once again, Lucas Ambrose is the most explosive <laughs> defensive playmaker in the league right now. And yeah. I don't know how close it is. He seems to doesn't get seem close. Two layout blocks. No one else is making plays at the same rate as he is. It's right? also like on Travis Dunn. He's doing this on the <laughs> other team's best options, and he's yeah. living in their nightmares by the second half. Like you got Quinn Finer last week. You would yeah. see throwers on San Diego holstering a bit. Shots to Travis Dunn, which they this team never really does. That's their guy. That's the franchise leader. And they were starting to hesitate a little bit because they'd see Ambrose circling around. Because, like, you watch him sometimes, and he's just kind of trolling around out there, Ambrose is. Like, he's not always <laughs> just, like, sprinting maniacally. But it's, yeah. he might have one of the best abilities I've seen in terms of the second his read kicks in, he's full speed in two steps. Like, it's yep. just... It's 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 absolute natural instinct the way he can read and close. And you just saw it again on, on Saturday night where he, he got to a couple of discs himself and he affected a number of other throws simply because he was in the area. And it's like aviators had needed something like that on defense for a minute. They have struggled to get that kind of pressure against opposing teams basically since their 2018 championship weekend run. And so... For them to kind yeah. of have that playmaker, and especially as a rookie who's sort of like becoming known now, I think is is great for a team that already added so much intriguing pieces over the offseason. And then yeah. um, aside from that, McDougal, like for all the other things about LA and the reconstruction and everything, of course they go to this franchise pillar just to close things out. He makes a grip of just some of the most clutch plays all season. He had a sky against Queckborner where Queckborner is like falling into him and pushing him backwards. And McDougal's just sort of like sticking in the air longer. Like, I don't know how to describe it. He simply has more hang time available to him. Physics. Like he jumps well. He's one of those players who like with our top 25 list and everything, it, it's it's hard to sort of put him in a truer map of where things align. But like, this is one of those performances where he he is so committed to the success of this team and this franchise. And this is just an absolute statement as to what he means when they need him most, right? Like that hand block at the yeah. end, it was like casual. Like he just yeah. sort of was there, puts his hand out, gets it back. They put in the game winner, like... I think we're seeing it. We're seeing more and more like the the individual bright spots of LA like popping up where they haven't been in previous seasons. Like the fact that they are making plays in the final minutes of the game and really like using their playmaking to its fullest potential in like its most impactful moments. I think that's something that's also been missing from LA. And the fact that they're starting to do it now. It's a it's a great sign for the rest of the season. I I think LA is probably like I mentioned Philly as as the team that I'm most excited to see uh, the rest of the season. But it's hard not to be intrigued by the growth of LA, considering all these new pieces, considering the 
the rookies that are that are popping up too. Uh, they're they're definitely one of the more exciting teams in the league right now, especially in the West. I'm also realizing now as we get past week six, I've suddenly gone on the roller coaster ride of every week. It seems like, or every two weeks, I sort of flip how I feel about a given team. Like two weeks ago, I was starting yeah. to get a little down on LA. Now I'm excited about them. <laughs> Ditto Philly, obviously going from zero and four to two and four. Oh yeah, Philly was a train wreck. Early in this yeah, it, it's were, just a whole time where it's just it's it's a little feverish to try to get a scope <laughs> on where the exact ladder is of some of this this logical confusion yeah. of things. But no, I, I totally agree with you. I think there's a good map now to kind of see what the Saviators team becomes. And again. To your yeah. point of we haven't maybe seen some of this playmaking in the big moments. I think that goes back to Giannis and Van Dusen being that kind of foundation for them to just make right, things right, right. It isn't something that they had before. And so while they weren't necessarily making some of the highlight plays of McDougal, of Ambrose, of some of these, Shapiro had a nice sky at one point. Um, mm-hmm. they're, they're still just so, so solid in what this team really needs. I shouldn't say that they weren't yeah. making highlight plays. Van Dusen made those two huge blocks. Like, what am I, what am I talking about? <laughs> but yeah, um, LA's fine. I want the, to talk, final I wanna talk almost about Madison-Pittsburgh, but I feel like the result kind of speaks to it enough. <laughs> uh, Madison finally yeah. getting off the schneid, 22 to 17. They, they just sort of stormed out of the gates, one wire to wire. It was mostly a six-goal margin for most of it. And I think the biggest sense that I got was that for as underwhelming as it might have been statistically for Patch Rywise and Sterling Kanaki to return to their lineups, just the eyeball test of what they added and the way in which it elevated all of their own young playmakers that are kind of looking for their abilities to break out. You just see a little bit more of all of that intriguing parts of Madison's developing roster just a little bit more clearly, right? Like you, one of the one of the players, obviously uh, Gumby, Anthony Gutowski has been amazing as their leading goal scorer. But like players like mm-hmm. Joe Leibforth on their defense, uh, Nico Ranabat, like some of those young guys who are just going out there and hustling, they just seem like a little bit more elevated. So while Madison sits at one and three, they too feel like a team that is going to be really interesting to watch develop, given that. Their three losses came by four total goals and two of them in the final two seconds of regulation. So you, yeah. you, you flip a couple of those results and we might feel massively different about this Radicals team that gets healthier and healthier by the week and continue to add a few more weapons here and there, just rounding out their roster. I don't know. Yeah. It's Things are really amplifying here as we head towards week seven. That will do it here for us on Swing Pass. Recapping week six, we will be back with you in just a couple days to preview another massive 13-game schedule in week seven. Obviously, there will be the first matchup between Salt Lake and Colorado, as well as a slew of other important matchups from across the league. Tune in here and on other AUDL social media to follow along. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We'll talk to you soon. Bye now.